0: Hi everybody. I'm Henry. I'm Brendan. Uh, welcome to The Gardening Show on Radio Karam. This is our fourth episode. I think we're really settling into it now. We've got cups of tea and everything. We, did. we came prepared <laughs> today. Nice and relaxed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, also, I apologize ahead of time. I've got a little bit of a sore throat and I might cough a few times, but I'll try my best to avoid doing that. Um, But yeah, we are the hosts of The Gardening Show here on Radio Carrum, and we're excited to be joining you to talk about all things gardening and local food production. Uh, We are two local dads who share a passion for the garden, sustainability, growing food, and just giving it a go. We also help run Downs Community Farm, which is a budding non-for-profit just adjacent to Seaford wetlands. And our mission is to promote and share the benefits of home gardening in our local community We'll be talking about gardening in general, playing some tunes, and hopefully grow to engage with our listeners via call ins, have guests, and interviews. And as always, every week, um, if you have any gardening related questions you'd like to send through during the show, you can text us on 0493 213 831. That's 0493 213 831. And uh, before we get into the show, um, I'll pass it over to Brendan for an acknowledgement of country.
1: Thank you so much, Henry.
0: Um,
1: So, yeah, I'd like to pay our respects and my respects to uh, the Indigenous, the traditional owners of the land uh, that we record on today, which is the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations. And we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And a big shout out to anybody listening tonight. Absolutely.
0: Um, So, yeah, what did we... What did we discuss last week, Brendan? Last So week. much.
1: We did, actually. <laughs> we, um, we,
0: we, we've got a lot to
1: discuss as well tonight. Yeah, I know. We've well. we got a lot on the Buckle agenda. Buckle up, which everybody. Is very, very cool. <laughs> but um, last week we discussed a number of things. We discussed um, planting and working in small spaces, uh, capturing and storing of energy when it comes to permaculture. Uh, we had a spotlight on amaranth, and we also spoke about the winter solstice.
0: Yeah, you'll be happy to know. I sent you actually a photo, didn't I? Um, that I bought amaranth seeds. <laughs> I saw them. I saw them <laughs> at, at the Diggers Club.
1: I was very excited. Yeah. Multiple I, packets. <laughs> I'm so
0: excited. I've got to wait a little bit to, uh, to get them in the ground, but I'm excited to um, yeah, fill my garden with amaranth now after your spotlight. And that was the red garnet, wasn't it? From it was from Diggers. That's the only one they had, I think. Yeah. So I just quickly grabbed a packet of that. I also grabbed uh, loofah. Pink. Have you grown loofah before? So,
1: no, I haven't. No. But I have seen how loofah grows. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's like a little bit of a mind boggling mystery of, of, of plant and, and
0: what you get from the plant at the end. So, that's really cool. I'd love, yeah. to, love to talk about more of that. Definitely. Well, 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 this kind of leads into what we'll talk about today, yeah. um, in particular, the permaculture principle. But um, what, will we, what we will be talking about today is uh, attracting beneficial insects and microbes. Mm. So all the, little, all the little guys and gals that really um, make gardening successful. Mm. Uh, we'll talk about the third permaculture principle, obtain a yield, which is one of the real meaty, chunky ones of um, all 12 of the principles. We'll talk a bit about companion planting, which we sort of touched a little bit on. Last week. Adjacently oh, last week. Last so nine. really get into it today. We'll also talk about survival crops. Mm. So that's your real bang for buck. Calorie dense, grow these to survive the <laughs> the <laughs> impending apocalypse. Not joking, but really good ones to always have in the garden mm. and saving seeds, which is another really important um, part of sustainability in gardening.
1: Sustainability and also
0: mm. uh, we'll get into it, but um, yeah.
1: doing things doing things without much money. Yes. The the seeds are going to keep on growing. That's um, it. We can keep on harvesting in them and using them and replanting them. So it is really a win in that respect.
0: Definitely. I'm really excited to get into that one as well. But, yeah, as always, we'll kick things off with a song so we can have a big sip of our tea. <laughs> and this one is called Window to the Sky by Kim Churchill.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Wit from Bait. When I'm passing through Karim, aside from slowing down to... 50 kilometres an hour, and is about doing the ill Race Road Rumba or the Whatley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karen and get down with the good vibes.
0: And we're back. Welcome back. Welcome back. And that again was Window to the Sky by Kim Churchill. So, topic number one, Brendan, kick it off, will Yeah. Excellent. So
1: you're listening to Henry and Brendan. We are on the gardening show on Radio Caram. We're going to talk about <laughs> attracting beneficial insects and microbes.
0: Really important stuff. Super important. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I think I, I, I think we all know that we that we have good bugs. We've got bad bugs. We've got bugs in general. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's it's a little bit confusing to know which ones are right and which ones are you know which ones are good, which ones are bad. Mm. Um, how do you get the right bugs? Um, how do you identify them? We know that all bugs are serving a purpose. They're doing they're doing their thing in the garden. It's always good <laughs> to think about balance, and that the garden itself is is a little ecosystem in and of itself. It's like a little ecosystem that we can m- maintain and and um, be custodians of. Um, let's say we do need to do something about a bug. So where we've got something in the garden and it's it's not looking good. Um, it's being affected, it's being bitten, it's being uh, destroyed somehow, mm, yep. it might be discolouring, um, and we, we need to do something about it. And there's lots and lots of different examples. Um, but really if quickly, if we wanted to go through and just talk about a few examples of good and bad bugs that are common ones in Australia and are in this area as well.
0: Yeah. I think it's also important to mention that there's lots of ways to... I guess tackle the bug issue, mm. particularly the bad bug issue. Um, chemicals, of course, is the one that you'll see the most, even in your supermarket aisle, where they have all the you know, the little gardening things. And I think you'll agree with me on this: that mm. the best way to do it is to avoid all chemicals and take a more nature-based ecology approach.
1: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I definitely have a hesitation if I'm growing for produce and I'm growing to consume stuff. I yep. really don't want to be putting um, stuff that's quite toxic down onto the ground or into the soil Yeah. to then you can't really tell but but to be permeating back through the food and those sorts of things mm. isn't my idea <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> same. it's not my ideal. Uh, and preferably uh, I want to be able to help the environment. I want to be able to support the ecosystem and, and what's living and what's being created. By the same token, I'm also a bit greedy and I do want a yield of vegetables yep, and yep. And, uh, and produce <laughs> as well. So it's really throwing up that balance. And um, in some instances, you know, some sacrificial plants, we might get into that, yep. but um, some sacrificial plants can be an option um, to give the best to, to everyone. So yep. Some to the bugs, some to us, and hopefully we can strike a balance where... Everybody's happy. Everyone's happy. <laughs> so what are some different examples of good bugs
0: yeah well um, a few that you've probably heard of so one is lace wings so lace wings the the larva um, or larvae I don't how do you pronounce it? I don't know but anyway the babies yeah um, they eat most garden pests which is really good so aphids which are anyone who's ever grown veggies um, or likes roses has probably come across aphids before mm. they can completely decimate a plant Um Mites as well, different kinds of mites, whitefly, and insect eggs, various different kinds of insect eggs that they'll happily go for. Yeah. Um, another one, of course, is ladybugs or ladybirds. I'm still not sure which one is correct, mm-hmm. and I do get asked this a lot, and I'm like, I don't know, whichever one you prefer yeah. to say. <laughs> um, they love eating aphids. They are aphid-eating machines. You can even buy a box of them to release into your garden ah, it's a bit of a waste of money because most of them will just leave but um, they can eat up to um, I've put my notes here the wrong number up to 50 aphids a day um, oh. so run around eating them all including the baby aphids and, and the, the grown up ones um, and a total of 5,000 aphids in, in their lifetime mm. so yeah if that's your main problem um, aphids maybe look into ladybirds what mm. else though
1: Okay, so we've got the long-legged fly, which is if you've ever seen those flies that um, they've got the shimmering gl- greeny, bluey, sort of yellow, um, metallic-y sort uh, of. Ah, yep, yep. Uh, the these these guys, the the long-legged flies, will eat other insect larvae as well, um, which is always nice. We've got the hoverfly. Um, the hoverfly, again, the striped back a little bit yellow and black striped back and you'll see them literally just hovering and they'll dart around back in front in front of you or in front of the plants they're also they're also great um they're they're going to be eating mosquito larvae which is always nice nobody likes mosquito bites um and they're also pollinators as well so (coughs) in
0: that respect they're, they're serving a double purpose they are they sometimes get confused with wasps because mm. um, they do have that sort of stripy back, mm. but they're very easy once you know what they are. They just, they yeah, they hover like little hummingbirds, mm. basically. Um, mm. A few others. So, parasitic wasps, many different species of parasitic wasps out there, and they do predate uh, or eat many different kinds of pests, and they usually specialise. So, they might specialise on one particular kind of caterpillar or a cockroach or whatever it is. And bit gruesome, but usually what they do is they'll lay an egg or eggs um, inside the live caterpillar, let's let's say, and then the baby wasp will kind of eat its way out. <laughs> so a little bit, you know, nature being nature, but, um, you know, not all wasps are necessarily scary. Mm. In fact, parasitic wasps don't really sting people. It's more those, I think they're European wasps yep. um, that do. So, yeah, keep an eye out for them. They're usually a little bit more gangly looking, um similar to a long-legged fly in a sense but very clearly wasps. And finally um praying mantises, well, the mantid family. So they eat most garden pests, um aphids, caterpillars, anything they can catch really. Mm. So that's a sort of double-edged sword there that while it's great to see a praying mantis in the garden, they do not discriminate against what they're eating. Um they'll just as easily go for a, a ladybird as they will, you know, a caterpillar. Mm, mm. But uh, it's always a good sign to see them. I like to see them in the garden. I think they're really fun.
1: Another one that we didn't didn't throw in here today, but mm. I did want to mention it as well is is spiders. Oh, of course, yeah. And <laughs> spiders, you know, we often it will give people a bit of a creepy feel. Um, Not many people are, are super super comfortable around spiders. Yeah. <laughs> um However, we we do we do share. The, the ground and the soil with with spiders as well, and they're going to be definitely helping us out on the pest front. So, yeah, um, we know you know that's always one as well for wearing gloves. A good reminder to wear gloves is, is sweeping across a little bit of dirt and then finding there's a, a white tail or something like that there. Yeah. It's um, but whilst they are scary, they also do serve a great purpose and a great uh, function as
0: well in the garden. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's also, of course, bugs that we don't want. Mm. <coughs> Sorry, there we go. There's the cough. Um, yeah. Well, starting off, obviously aphids, which we've just mentioned um, before. So, ways we can get rid of aphids besides having a good amount of beneficial insects mm-hmm. is to simply squish them. <laughs> they're quite small. They're quite soft. Uh, you can choose the neem oil option. So I'm not sure what where neem comes from, mm. but it is a sort of natural oil. It's pretty strong, so you have to kind of water it down. Um, and it works for a lot of different applications in the garden in terms of, you know, getting rid of bugs we don't want. I sometimes called eco-oil as well. Eco-oil, yep. eco-oil. That's it. Um, soapy water mm-hmm. is a great way to do it as well. Um, and one that I've seen quite successful is to actually just blast them off with a hose. Of course, you have to be careful about what plants you're blasting with a hose. Some can take it, some can't. Mm. So a strong plant like a mature brassica, like a a broccoli or a cauliflower or a cabbage or something or kale, um, you can usually just hose them off and um, keep doing that again for a couple of weeks Mm. until they're all gone.
1: I <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm going to try that because I did. We've got some red cabbages, um, yep. and they're just the small little um, baby red cabbages, um, and they're just starting to form up now, so taking some shape. And yep. I noticed that there were some aphids that were hanging around and started to, oh, <laughs> started to get a bit too close. Um, so I might be following that in, in advice mm. as well. What else? We've got some caterpillars, um, caterpillars, cabbage moths. We see them at the moment. There's plenty around, yep. and you get that nice big plump green caterpillar that's on there. Um, What do I like to do? I like to pick them off and throw them straight to the birds. That's it. If you're lucky enough to have chickens, I'm sure they're going to love them as well. Oh yeah,
0: I'll be collecting them though. (laughs)
1: Um, And the last one that we wanted to mention uh, for bugs that we don't want, which is just one, again, it's a very common one, is earwigs. Um, Mm. One of the challenges with earwigs and and they really, uh, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, Yeah they they eat all my veggies <laughs> they eat, uh, they're nocturnal as well so we're not going to yeah. go and see them when they're out during the day um they love at the moment wombok Chinese cabbage, oh, okay. Um, yep. and as opposed to, I was hoping for they were going to go for the outer layer leaves, and, yep. and they were going to be sacrificial, and the and the real uh, heart of the cabbage is going to be growing and protected. But I noticed that some of them had just gone straight. Oh <laughs> wow! Okay, <laughs> just tunneled cabbage, right in. <laughs> tunneling in, tunneling um, in. We managed to save a little bit of cabbage, just a, just a bit, but. Um, uh, we've got some more in the garden still there, so we'll see what we can do about oh those
0: goodness. ones. Um, how do you how do you get rid of them?
1: How do we get rid of the earwigs? So again, we've got uh, the neem oil, we've got the soapy sort of washes. Uh, another one is traps, so yes. beer traps um, or some sort of a sugary um, a, a sugary concoction maybe a um, lemonade or something on yep. those lines and essentially what we're doing or what I did for, for these ones is um, grabbed a few old takeaway containers yep. flipped them over um, and then basically filled them kind of semi buried them and filled them up with uh, some beer, beer. and yep. just left them um, and the earwigs <laughs> came in when I was doing it uh, a couple of years ago they they it really collected a lot so I'd oh, come back and find 30, 40 earwigs in one in one pot oh, of geez. beer. Um, so I'd pepper those ones throughout the garden at various points and then hopefully catch some earwigs. Um, and the other one with earwigs as well is trying to see perhaps where they're living. If yep. there's anything that's nearby under you know a big plank of rotted wood or something like that, you might find a stash of them. Um, so targeting that might be an, an idea as well.
0: Yeah. Um, on that note, um, I, I learned a... A, tr- a trick, I guess, from one of my one of my teachers in my permaculture course. Cat um, Lavers, um, she's probably not listening, but if you are, hi, cat <laughs> um, has had a big problem with earwigs mm. eating all of her veggies. Same same sort of deal, um, and she keeps quail, okay. so not chickens, but yep. quail. you know, obviously, similar in some ways in terms of the fact that they love to eat things like earwigs. Um, so, I decided to. Instead of just fighting the earwigs, is to try and collect them as food for the mm. for the um, for the quail. So a way to do that was with a bamboo trap. So as you said, they, they tend to live in little dark areas under logs and things like that. Um, so if you get a bunch of bamboo, then you can, you'd have to look up how to do it exactly. I'm not totally sure, but um, put it in a in a way where you encourage the earwigs to move into the bamboo, mm-hmm. and then during the day when they're in there hiding. Pick up the bamboo, and just give it a shake, yeah, yep. straight into the quail enclosure and watch the decimation <laughs> the quails of the, like the earwig, you know, which would be really funny to see quail doing that. I'm sure it will work the same with chickens. Mm. I'm gonna give that a go. I, I
1: have heard the same, a similar sort of thing is getting a, um, a newspaper, rolling it up with some, so it's got some yeah. space and it's nice and dark, and yeah, um, and they'll hopefully. Crawl in there and find a home, or even soaking it in beer or something beforehand as yeah. well.
0: A lot um, of beer in the garden today, in this episode, I think. That <laughs> <laughs> actually reminds me though, beer in the garden um, and beer traps. One that we haven't really talked about yet and just came to my mind is slugs and snails. Mm. Um, anyone who's grown veggies before knows that when they're at that sort of really small stage, they are prime food for those, you know, slugs and snails in the garden. And beer traps is a good way to try and catch them as well yeah 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 uh, excellent excellent advice mm. so but
1: lastly as well sorry just before we yeah, jump into the oh next God, one is in. is just with be careful with those earwigs um even they've got those little pincers at the front oh yeah and even though they're very small they can still they can still nip <laughs> so that, yeah, yeah
0: speaking from experience yeah think, unfortunately yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> me too <laughs> um so look that's I guess one way to take care of the bugs that we don't want is um, yeah, to use you know things like neem oil and traps and soapy water. But the other one, of course, is the beneficial insects that we mentioned. Mm. Now, how do we attract those insects? Mm. How do we get, make sure that they have what they need um, initially to come into the garden and then hopefully find these insects that we don't want? Yeah. Kick it off. All where, right. where do we go from here? Yeah. Um,
1: so you, you kind of mentioned that there's two, two one big part of it here mm. is the pest control and and for uh, beneficial plants, um, attracting beneficial plants, bringing uh, I'm sorry attracting beneficial insects yep. is um, looking at bringing in new plants, looking at specific types of plants, yep. um, having lots of diversity um, and lots of plants that can flower at different times really um, of the year, which is really important for bees. Mm. Um, uh, umbel shaped flowers um, so when we're picking out flowers if we've heard of umbel shaped flowers yep. umbel is essentially an umbrella shape um, they're particularly good at drawing in the hoverflies and other beneficial insects yep. and they can kind of vary in their shape they can be from a flat topped almost spherical one yep. and then they can kind of dome out as well um, and a few different examples of some really great Beneficial insect attractors are things like uh, angelica, yep. um, which you see growing wild quite a lot, um, dill and fennel, uh, and allium flowers. So, alliums are our garlics Garlic and our onions. onions and things like that. And they'll shoot up that one scape out of the middle yep. of the plants. Of the, um, plant, a big, beautiful round
0: flower and you at get the top. that big, big well, grouping of flowers, yeah. Mm-mm. <laughs> Yeah. Um,
1: so, those are a few, but have you got some more?
0: Yeah, well, um, you did mention, you know, dill, um, and I'm not sure about fennel, but I know dill is part of the carrot family. Mm-hmm. So, really, carrots themselves, if you do manage to leave carrots long enough for them to flower, they will create these big, sort of dill like um, and, and fennel like, yeah, the sort of flat ish, mm-hmm. sort of um, umble shaped flowers covered in bees, always, yeah. and hoverflies, um, which. Sidebar, of course, when we talk beneficial insects, we're not just talking, you know, predators (laughs) for bad insects. We're talking pollinators as well, which is really important. Um, But, yeah, other members of the carrot family, the arrow as well, which does grow pretty wild around the place. Um, And I've got them in my notes here. Um, Parsley, also a member of the carrot family. Fun fact for those that didn't know. Um, Yeah, if you let your parsley go as well to seed it will create those similar sorts of flowers. So it's always worth, you know, keeping, let's say you're growing a bunch of parsley, um, you know, you're going to be harvesting it probably quite frequently. Always leave some in a corner of the garden and let it just go. Mm. I think that's a really nice way to do it. Um,
1: I've tended to to do that one specifically is when the carrots haven't worked. So, it's gonna be a bit <laughs> touching. Let them go, <laughs> um, and allowing some things to go uh, is—it's gonna serve into our later topic of um, of seed saving. That's it. Um, yeah. But allowing things to grow to to go, if they haven't necessarily worked, they may have bolted a little bit early. L- leave it in there for a little bit.
0: Yeah. That, also, that also ties into the uh, obtaining a yield. Ah. We're going to talk about too, because uh, plants are more than just the thing that you get out of them that you think, like Mm. fruit or whatever it is, um, veggies. So, yeah, we'll get to that anyway. Um, But, yeah, uh, any current examples that you have in the garden of where you've put this into practice? Uh, So probably two actually at the moment. So one was borage. Um, Oh, Love borage, yeah! What a plant. Get borage in the garden. We need to do a spotlight on borage, okay, for sure, (laughs) definitely. Yep, Um, borage. The 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 bees tend to love it. Um,
1: And the other one was uh, a pride of medina. Oh, um, plant! I've Um, seen some big, big ones of those. They're amazing. So that's the. the, Actually, I'll I'll do one more. I'm going to jump in with one more. So the pride of medina. I'm going to give my 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 go at Echium candicans. For the Pride of Medina. Now, these ones are going to be the typical blue, purple, almost spire-like flower that pops up. Um, And you'll see, again, bees, 15 or 20 of them going for one flower head. Yeah, and there could be hundreds on one of these plants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there was one more I was thinking of, but we might have to come back and go
0: to your one. Yeah. Uh, For me, wild fennel. Um, Mm. So wild pops up everywhere, but one popped up in my garden hidden amongst some saltbush. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and I just saw it one day and it was already a metre tall. <laughs> I thought, oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'll let that go. Cause it started to pop out those humble flowers and I started to see it covered in bees and hoverflies. Um, and then eventually it got to about two metres tall and probably about a metre wide with maybe 20 or so of these big groupings of flowers. Um, So yeah, as I ripped that out to redo my whole garden, Mm. I made sure to keep a few of the little sort of seedlings that have popped up elsewhere Mm because obviously it had gone to seed and spread some seed around the garden. So that's one that uh, I'm always keeping. And uh, borage, as you mentioned, um, yeah, I bought borage once. And if you know, you know, you buy borage once, you put it in the ground, you leave it, you will have borage popping up everywhere for Mm. the rest of your life which is good in a closed garden that's right yeah but it can be a bit weedy of course if you have a garden that's maybe open to the bush yeah yeah no good 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 call
1: out yeah the other one that i was thinking of was um sedum or sedum oh yeah
0: absolutely it's a succulent right yeah um sort of semi-succulent Commonly
1: known as a stone crop, but yeah, I think hmm. definitely down on the foliage of the leaves. Yeah, you've got that succulent feel. They're quite. They've got a lot of volume to them. Yep. there's a lot of moisture and water in there. Um, and then they'll have the the long uh, shooting stems, which will then flower on the With top lots of them. Of
0: little flowers on them. Mm, yeah, mm. Really nice.
1: Oh, talk about flowering plants all day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Let's
0: do a whole show. We'll do a whole show on just flowers we like. I think one of the <laughs> That's things. A good idea. Know, I think you, you kind of mentioned it before. Is that every time? Oh,
1: Many of the topics that we're going to be talking about in the permaculture space, in the gardening space, just gardens in general, a lot of the principles will reflect onto each other and, and fall back onto each other. So I think we'll wind up talking about mm. often similar principles throughout.
0: Yeah, um, it's all interconnected.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
0: Let's talk about microbes for a second. All So let's, let's, let's go from things we can see to things we can't. <laughs>
1: right. We're going from the top to, to underneath.
0: Yeah. So, you know, plants and microbes, they've evolved together for hundreds of millions of years, um, maybe billions. I don't know. How long have plants been around for? But the connection is a basic building block for Earth's terrestrial ecosystems. So today, scientists recognise that microorganisms are key contributors to plant growth and health. And also to human health, um, if you look into the sort of gut microbe, gut biome. In the garden, all those invisible microbes can really make or break your growing season. And if you've ever had to deal with, um, you know, nematodes, ruining your tomatoes or saving them, you know, depending on the kind, you know what we're talking about. Um, So today we're going to look at four ways that you can promote a healthy ecosystem at the microscopic level. What's the first one?
1: All right. So no, I've th- never
0: done this one before. I'm really excited to hear about
1: it. Yeah. Yep. Um, using a, a a micro a inoculant. Um, so essentially, we're introducing a, a fungus. Yeah. Um, the tiny little fungal fibers um, basically wrap around roots, um, yep. and they help them extract water and nutrients from the soil. So they also help pr- to protect the roots from predators. Uh, And in return, they get carbohydrates from the plant itself. Um, So we're talking about the symbiotic relationship between the fungus and the roots and the trees. Mm. Um, The mycorrhizal inoculant, you can buy them. Um, It's uh, available online in the stores. Um, And if you want to look for something there, uh, rhizophagus irregularis is what you can look for as an ingredient. But essentially what we're doing is we're Mm. bringing in a good fungus, a good um, micro base, um, and adding it to it. Now, this I believe you can add it in if we're doing things like fruit trees, we can add it to the soil beforehand as well um, and uh, we can sprinkle it through or if you're repotting, that might be a way to add it to the soil mix. Yeah, great. I think what we want to be thinking about here is that the soil underneath is, is alive. It's, there's mm. lots of things interacting with it as well. It's not just a, um, it's not just a, a dead substance. Yeah. and really for it to be working well is that we do want it to be flourishing and
0: we do want it to be um, working well. That's it. That's the difference between I guess soil and dirt. Mm. right Dirt is the thing that I clean off the bottom of my boots. Mm-hmm. Soil is a living thing, you know um, If it's not alive, it's not working is the way that I see it. Uh, and that's actually why I always, or everyone in, in the gardening space encourages people to put compost on their plants. Mm. Compost, it's not just this magical thing that, you know, ah, oh, food scraps, you know, turn into compost and it makes everything grow better. No, what it's doing is it's feeding the microscopic life in the soil, right? And the microscopic life in the soil are breaking that down into a form that plants can use. And that's the relationship, So it's really important to get that right. It was Mm. probably
1: funny, funny that you uh, that you mentioned. It was my initial thoughts when I first first started putting some seeds into the ground, and and just uh, again a little bit of experimentation. I had a very naive um, arrogance, I would say, and I was like, (laughs) "No, it's just soil. Put it in the soil. Put water in it. Sunshine, water. It's in the ground. What what does it need? It's going to do its thing." Um, this might be also some of the reasons why plants might just go straight to bolts because they're not getting what they need to and they go, hang on a second, I need to get into preservation mode. I need to...
0: I need to propagate myself. Exactly, Spread yeah. my seeds somewhere better. Yep,
1: yep, mm. exactly. So that can be another reason.
0: Yeah. Um, so another one is mulching. So really important. Um, mulch, of course, which is a top layer above the topsoil that is used to um, you know, basically protect and cool your soil to stop water from evaporating um, and can also, it itself breaks down into compost um, and composts itself as well. So that works, <coughs> sorry, works wonders for garden microbes. Um, yeah, trapping humidity really and just making sure that things are nice and moist because I guess like with human beings, uh, we don't like to dry out into a husk and uh, do microbes. So it's important to keep them not sopping wet but Mm. moist and that's really where mulch can, especially in summertime, Mm. keep things nice and even, I suppose, temperature-wise. Worth noting, of course, that um, on that same token in places like Victoria uh, and Tasmania, for example, you might want to remove your mulch um, from the garden if you know it's going to be quite a wet season it can trap too much moisture and have the ah. opposite effect. So uh, we, we want to let that little bit of sunlight get in and keep the soil warm as mm. well. Interesting, yeah. interesting.
1: Um, one one little trick that I always like to uh, to to do, and one way that you can see how mulch works um, is if you go into if you're taking the kids down to the playground at any stage, yep. and you've got the playground, they always throw wood chip onto the onto the playground. True. And if you just push apart and kind of dig down. Five or ten centimeters, you can really easily see the breakdown of mm. of wood chip, and how within probably fifteen centimeters or so, it's just it's it's all mushed up. It's, as, it's dirt, all, basically
0: all soil. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, it's a really good way of seeing it in action and seeing it in a short short scale. That's it. Um, what else? Using probiotics.
0: Wow, I, I never even thought about this one because when I think probiotics, I think the Greek yogurt I have in the morning yep. is, is, <laughs> is, where, <laughs> is where probiotics come from. Um, yeah, you can do that in the garden. Yep. So what we yeah. do with this is um, a few simple
1: materials. You can get some jar, a jar, you can get some molasses, okay. uh, a bit of water, a bit of dirt, um, and basically leave it. Um, a home-brewed microbial mix. It can be sprayed directly onto foliage, um, or diluted in water to increase the amount that you've got. Right. And the idea is to colonise the
0: garden with healthy, biodiverse soil bacteria. So this is sort of like. So I'm making kombucha at the moment. Mm-hmm. Side sidebar, <laughs> um, which is obviously a fungus-based tea. Fermented tea drink, I Mm -hmm. guess, for those that aren't aware of what kombucha is. I think probably everybody knows what kombucha is now. Um, But when you go through – same with making beer. When you go through your second ferment, you're adding sort of sugar Mm -hmm. to, you know, help that yeast proliferate and, in those cases, create um, effervescence and, um, you know, bubbles. Um, So that's, I guess, what the molasses is in this. It's providing a food for the bacteria, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. lastly i have molasses so i'm gonna maybe give this a go Mm. um a worm farm lastly uh brilliant i think you and i are huge worm farm nerds i can't wait to get a worm farm in my garden um yeah if compost is black gold which i've always called it black gold uh worm castings or worm poo uh is black platinum i love that you've written that (laughs) that's amazing um plentiful in nitrogen Phosphorus, potassium, the three macronutrients that gardens need and numerous micronutrients. Um, They're also bursting with a vast array of garden microbes themselves. So if you want to get an endless supply of this stuff, build a worm farm and it's not that hard to do. Worms are exceedingly easy to take care of. Mm. You do have to take care of them, yes, but you can go out and buy a fancy worm kit, uh, you can use a couple of old buckets yeah and a, and, a, and a piece of uh you know hessian or whatever so it's really easy to get into do you have worms at home
1: i do yep, yes we do what's your
0: setup look like
1: so we've got a one of just the standard rectangle three or four layer I used um, to have one of those yeah uh ones which i think it was probably from bunning's back in the yep. day um i've got two tumblers um so these are the ones that are sitting on a frame and the whole thing will tip over. Right, okay. Um and uh what if I think that's about oh, one of the standard Dalek shape uh oh, garlic <laughs> shape green pins. <laughs> yeah, okay. Just one of those. The R two D two um Correct, yeah. Yeah, thing. Awesome. We well, um at, at the moment I'm trying to use one for like lawn clippings, flip them around. Yeah. And just trialing out a few different things on it. But um Worms, worms. Like you said, you can you can do it yourself with just buckets and hessian and your own materials. Um, if you've got a friend who's got worms already, you can just mm. say, "Can I grab a big handful of worms, <laughs> throw them in the hessian sack, and bring them through?" And they'll keep on breeding as well and and making more worms. Um, probably the. Adding things like Koya in is always nice. So yep. it's got that that um, permeable something dark that they can crawl into. Yep. It's not so slushy, and it's not just vegetables on top of the on yeah. top of the worms. That's
0: it. It's actually um, at at my work. So I work for um, an organisation called Cultivating Community, uh, and one we run lots of community gardens. But we are currently. I guess the stewards of the, the rooftop farm at the Burwood Brickworks Shopping Centre.
1: Ah, I've been there.
0: Yep. You've been there. Ah, excellent. So we just recently took that over because it was in a bit of a state um, and we've slowly been bringing it back to life. And the worm setup there is fantastic. It's mm-hmm. three large uh, bathtubs sitting in frames, um, high enough that you can get a, a bucket essentially under the, the plug hole, mm-hmm. I guess, of the bathtub. And the bathtub is then filled with, you know, all of your material and your worms. And then over the top it's got some, yeah, coffee coffee bean sacks sort of thing on top. And then just a wooden lid to cover it completely. Big hinge lid. Yeah. So really great because over time, of course, that bucket is going to fill up with, with wormweed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can also just flush the system, just give it a good hose, let it all drain out, collect that. Is it in the garden? And, and go back to, uh, to square one, mm. and it's just a constant cycle of material.
1: Worm, worm tea that can be pretty strong sometimes. Should water it down. Yeah, should water it down. Hot
0: tip: I've ruined plants before. Yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yes, I, I did also I lost a blueberry because I gave it oh, way too no. much, and it uh, overnight it went from bright green to totally brown.
0: Wow! And, too much uh, of a good thing. Too much of a good thing. That's it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, uh, beneficial and not-so-beneficial insects and microbes. really important to think about those in the garden, Mm -hmm. how you can attract the right ones, stop or slow down the wrong ones and just give your plants the best chance for success. I like it. Fantastic advice. So let's uh, kick off another song. So this one is uh, King Stingray's uh, hit. I'll say it's a hit. It was a hit. Get me out by King Stingray. Oi, oi. Oi, oi, oi. I-G-A, it's shopping night. I-G-A, where the price is right. Seaford North I-G-A, for your groceries and liquor. I-G-A Express, there's nothing quicker. And we're back. Once again, that was King Stingray with Get Me Out. And you are with Henry and Brendan, The Gardening Show on Radio Caram. So, shall we get into permaculture? Let's do it! Yes. Yay! All right. So the so just a, a quick reminder, a quick one sentence, two sentence reminder of what permaculture is. So, it is, um, I guess, a design philosophy. I guess is a way you could put it, uh, a way to create gardens or to design gardens and, and, and lifestyles that ensure that uh, we're working harmoniously with nature. So that mm-hmm. covering our own needs, the needs of our community and the needs of plants, animals, the ecosystem. Um, just through some really common sense, I think is the way that you put it. Yeah. Things that um, you can implement into your garden at the design phase.
1: Whenever I think about permaculture, I, I really try and think about common sense. Yeah. These are going to be things that just work. <laughs> it's just, when we look at it, it makes sense. It's a, a good relationship between, mm. um, between things. Um,
0: but yes, just common sense approach to gardening. That's it. So on that note, uh, the third permaculture principle is obtaining a yield. <coughs> Sorry, I'm trying so hard not to cough. <laughs> You're doing well, Henry. Thank you. Um, obtaining a yield. So this is really emphasising the importance of designing a garden or a system that provides an actual tangible and useful output for you. Cause otherwise that effort and that energy that we put in is not going to be sustainable. And if it's not sustainable, things are going to fall off the wagon and everything kind of falls apart pretty quickly. Um, and you see this all the time when people get into gardening, they don't really think about that. They maybe try and grow a bunch of tomatoes in the middle of winter. They have no success and they kind of give up because mm. they've not obtained a yield or the yield that they expected. Mm, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, this principle, obtaining a yield, encourages us to create designs and practices that ideally are generating multiple yields. So stacking the things that you're getting um, out of a garden. So that can include, of course, food, but energy, shelter, water, um, aesthetics even is totally, totally reasonable as well. Um, So in permaculture, the concept of a yield extends beyond the kind of traditional agricultural production um, thought of yield, which is how many tons of corn did I get? Or, you know, how many tons of wheat did we get?
1: Ten bushels.
0: (laughs) That's it. Um, So that diverse range of outputs um, includes, you know, social, ecological, economic benefits. Um, So, yeah. I guess having a think about your own garden here, Brendan, are there any examples you can think of where there's a plant that is providing multiple different yields for you? Hmm. Hmm. You've thrown me in the spot. It's hard to yeah. think about sometimes because you, you're everyone is kind of used to thinking about plants as providing one thing. Yeah. 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 I, I think I do fall into that trap
1: quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, I think about it, when I think about the plants, I'm thinking, okay, well, what's my harvest going to be? Yeah. <clears throat> what one thing I have been trying to do as much as possible is not have organic material leaving site. Yeah. So <clears throat> that might in that might wind up being that it's compost rather than going and buying compost. Um, I'm going example. to be getting some mulch. I'm going to be getting some um, food scraps or whatever it might be, and trying to not have to buy pump compost down yeah. the road sometime
0: <laughs> yeah well exactly i mean that's that's a perfectly reasonable way to look at it right mm. uh we actually talked about it a little bit before as well of attracting beneficial insects so there's lots of plants that yes you gave the carrot example i think it's a really good example if they fail on you and carrots often do fail on you they, they can be a little bit finicky what happens then do you kind of Say, oh, woe is me and what a waste and, and all of that. Or do you maybe let them go and use them as a way to attract beneficial insects? Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of stacking yields that we're talking about. Um, so that no matter what happens, if we're planting our garden in the right way, we're, we're getting something no matter what. Mm. And that's sort of what it's about. A big part of it is, yeah, just changing the way that we think about it, you know. Because if you put all this effort into growing tomatoes and you don't get tomatoes – yeah, what do might, you do? It might feel like a wasted effort. It might feel like a wasted effort. But, hey, tomatoes go really great in the compost yep. or tomato plants rather. So trying to think that way means that when things don't go our way, we're still getting something and we're more likely to continue putting energy and effort into our system. Mm-mm. Yeah. So let, if we think a clever
1: way <laughs> to set up so that uh, it's a sustaining um, practice
0: for future years. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. That's really what it's about. It's it's quite a chunky part of permaculture, um, but it's quite easy to explain. And you know, obtaining a yield, it really just involves recognizing the value of your own time, your energy, and your resources. Mm-hmm. And that includes, of course, money and things like that. Um, and it just encourages us to find some ways to work smarter and not harder by stacking yields, as we said, by leveraging natural processes and patterns to increase productivity. So... As you can see, they all kind of tie in together because if you remember the first principle was observe and interact. Mm -hmm. And a big way to ensure that we're getting a yield is to observe and interact constantly with our garden and sort of find where these little synergies are happening and kind of use them to our benefit in a way. So that's pretty much it. I mean, a few little things that we can – sort of tack onto this. So as you mentioned, compost compost is yeah. a way to make sure that no matter what happens in your garden, you're getting a yield, which is a really good one. It's a sort of catch all at the end of the sort of cycle. <coughs> polyculture planting, of course, polyculture, I should say planting. So it's sort of just growing a large single crop, um, growing lots of different crops together, um, that are complementary. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about companion planting, um, shortly. <coughs> yikes um (laughs) so that could be things like just nitrogen fixing plants that can then help um, other plants grow better Um, pest repellent plants edible crops all these multiple benefits happening at once Um, rainwater harvesting of course is a great way to obtain a yield from your roof which if you don't have any solar there's not much yield you're obtaining from your roof, really. Mm -hmm. Um, So rainwater is just a way to make sure that we're getting something there as well. Um, Agroforestry is another one. So sort of integrating trees, if you have the land, um, with crops and livestock to create a sort of forest environment is another way to stack yields quite high as well. Um, Trees and bushes um, can provide a lot of things Besides aesthetics, Mm. they can be used as windbreaks, um, firewood, of course, uh, habitat for beneficial insects, timber for construction, lots of things that a tree can provide besides just being lovely and looking uh, good in the garden. So that's a few of them right there. Um, Finally, one that I'm hoping to get into, and I need to have a chat with those wonderful, I think they're called the Southern Beekeeper Association. Beekeeper Association, that's the one. Yep. um, Who are down at at Downs Estate, where Mm -hmm. Downs Community Farm is located, um, is beekeeping. Yeah. So, you know, bees obviously provide honey, Mm. but they also pollinate um, and enhance fruit and seed production. So, again, stacking yields. That was very hard for me to go through. <laughs> you've, you've done very, very well, Henry. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, so, yeah, apologies for all the coughing, but that's obtaining a yield. Um, do you have any questions about this at all?
1: No, no. I, it's pretty I like
0: self-explanatory, it. right?
1: It is, yes. I, I very much like the agroforestry approach. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about food forests, the idea of uh, pioneer trees as well. So mm, yep. trees that you're going to set up in the first half of the food forest idea, that um, that are really going to be coming up to provide shelter, to provide um, uh, it might be yeah shelter. It might be for a, a, a middle canopy layer, and yep. then later on we start to chop those ones down to make space for other fruit trees or, or productive That's trees it. that we might be putting in there as well. I love the layer of multi-layering, or oh, sorry, I like the um, idea around multi-layering. So, also having things on canopy layers and middle layers, like berries, and then things down at a ground layer yeah. um, as well. I think that's that's very cool. I'd love that's to play it. around a bit more with that.
0: And look, um, here's the activity for our listeners for this week or this this next couple of weeks in relation to obtaining a yield: is to go out into your garden right now, and I mean, no matter what state your garden is in have a think about what yields you can pull out of your garden that aren't just food mm. <coughs> or food where you might not think it's coming, it shouldn't be coming from. So an example would be weeds, you know. Mm. If your garden is just dandelions and nettles, well, guess what? <laughs> your garden is full of food. Yeah, They're both completely edible. Um, or can be used for compost yep. or compost weed teas. So there's always something there. But have a look um, and try and think about your garden in in not only just food, but what else can you get out of it yep. Yep. And, and start to appreciate your garden a little bit more. That's the lesson. That's appreciate the- your garden a little bit more. <laughs> as, as you're saying it to me and as you're looking at me, I'm, I'm thinking – but I just want
1: to pull up a potato plant and grab all the potatoes from yeah. the bottom and be smiling and laughing. <laughs> no, I definitely have to reorientate my my mm. thinking. Um, I like the way you were thinking about what yield is my roof giving me? Is it giving me sunlight? Is it giving me water? And yeah. it can give you something. That's a really, yeah, it's a really that's interesting um, concept.
0: Definitely. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty much that one. Um, we'll go into the next one next week, which is, A tricky one to explain um, in terms of practical examples, but it's apply self-regulation and accept feedback. Mm. This one is a little bit of the more esoteric, sort of floating up in the sky kind of um, ideological kind of ones, but really important as well to to ensure that you're making good decisions over the long term. Yeah, yeah. So excited for that one. But before we get into a a nice – topic that I'm really excited about, uh, companion planting, Mm -hmm. Um, we'll go to another song. So this one is Another Sunny Day, another sun-related song by Bell and Sebastian.
1: Uh, Hello, this is Kieran Carroll, uh, the playwright from Edith Vale, and you're on Radio Karam, a great station that gives many, many voices a chance across the city of Kingston.
0: Go Radio Karam. And welcome back. Welcome back to The Garden Show with Brendan and Henry. Here on Radio Karam, of course. <laughs> so, um, we actually had a question come in yeah. from one of our listeners, which is very exciting. So, the question, I'm just going to read it here. Um, Will my Cape gooseberries ripen in winter? The bush is laden with them. I don't have a lot of experience with Cape gooseberries.
1: It's a it's an interesting one and a really unique looking plant and fruit. Yeah. Um, so if if for for those not familiar with the Cape gooseberry or gooseberry, when it ripens, it's it's really interesting. It's got the fruit um, almost like the size of a cherry tomato, probably right. a tiny bit smaller, um, and it's going to fruit into a yellow, or like a bright yellowy, almost orangey color. Right. Okay. And then the outside of it looks like a paper lantern.
0: So like a tomatillo kind of...
1: Yeah, so it's got this paper lantern. Eventually that paper lantern, it'll start off green and as it dries and becomes brown, you get to see through like an insect wing almost. You get to see through them and they become almost like this dry hollow um, lantern casing that sits around the little berry that's inside. Um, it's a it's a really great question. Um, Cape gooseberries, if if they're out there and they're flowering and they're fruiting at the moment, um, that's going to be a great sign because they're yep. obviously already in the garden and they're, they're they're setting fruit and the fruit are on there. So naturally, we can think, yeah, they're going to continue to ripen. Yeah, um, they will ripen through the winter um, as well, and probably the 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 one you can. Put <coughs> If you wanted to, you can pick them um, off the off the plant, and they'll continue to ripen. Let's say on a shelf inside. Okay, like a tomato, like so, a tomato. Yeah. Um, but probably the thing with the Cape gooseberry is to not eat them if you've got green on them. Um, okay. So if you're still showing green on the actual berry itself, and it's not that rich, or oh, orangey, yellowy, dark yellowy sort of a colour. Yeah. Um, and it's still showing that greening, like on a potato. We leave them alone because they can be a bit toxic and okay. um, maybe not the best. But uh, it looks like Cape gooseberries will—they uh, will continue to ripen through the winter, and hopefully, you'll be able to go out and collect quite the harvest.
0: And as we know, um, a lot of fruit do ripen with longer sunlight hours. Of course, mm. and we have passed the winter solstice, if you remember from our last show. Yep. So uh, chances are good. Yep. But you can kind of finish them off on the counter, which is also really good to know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So thank you, listener. Not sure what your name is, but thank you very much for that. Um, any other questions, of course, feel free to send them through on 0493-213-831. And we're happy to, uh, yeah, to answer them as they come up.
1: Fantastic.
0: So – Companion, companion, (laughs) companion planting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, How
1: does this work? Companion planting. All
0: right. So uh, today we've had this big focus
1: on relationships, things that are going to have a positive relationship on each other. And, And really that's what we're looking for with companion planting. Um, so companion planting essentially is where we we're careful about the placement of plants especially vegetables and herbs um, and specifically ones that have been shown to have beneficial effects on each other yep. um, sometimes they're not going to have beneficial we need to think about what we need to keep apart as well but um, it comes uh, sometimes it comes down to the physical reasons Some plants are taller they provide shelter from the sun um and wind from the plants that need protection climbing plants can be trained up uh over taller plants to maximize that production in a small space um some plants make good companions because their roots grow to different depths as well yeah so uh they simply don't compete with each other for those same water and nutrients um and that way you can you know stack more get more into that
0: one area yeah so um some other the good reasons as well to plant certain uh, crops and just plants together, uh, deterring pests, of course, as mm. we spoke about before. Um, you know, an example would be garlic. The smell is very unappealing to many pests. Mm. So there's, of course, plants that you shouldn't grow garlic with. You can look up online large tables of what you can grow with what and what you shouldn't grow with what, but garlic's a good one mm. um, and – the allium family in general for, for deterring pests attracting beneficials, another one. So borage of course is a really important one for pollinating bees uh, and tiny pest eating wasps. So that goes really well with some things, Uh, improving plant health. So a good example of this is nitrogen fixes. So the legume family, the clover family, they take nitrogen from the air and, store it in little things called nodules, which are like little white balls, I suppose, under mm-hmm. the ground attached to their roots. And that makes that nitrogen available to other plants. So in particular plants that want a lot of nitrogen, which hint is any plant that you're growing for big leaves, mm. um, that's going to be really good to grow near near legumes, for example. Um, yeah, and weed suppression. So, you know- Potatoes, um, that yeah, you know, and other plants that sprawl, so like you know, sweet potatoes as well, um, pumpkins and things like that, where they just really spread out, can help to suppress weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know could obviously compete with other plants. Uh, but yeah, what are some other classic combinations?
1: Um, I love it. These are those are all really really good ways of keeping um, of good reasons to plant companion planting or yep. to to try companion planting. Um, probably some some really classic examples, um, which which we know about. So, first ones up: delicious tomato and basil.
0: It's great because oh, they kind of go together in Italian cuisine. Yep. really well. Bit so of bocconcini. It's good to yeah. A little bit of. Uh, <laughs> it's a shame bocconcini doesn't
1: grow on trees. <laughs> a bit yeah. of balsamic on a cracker. Well, Happy days. Beauty. Some, some nice rustic bread. Um, but tomato and basil, um, and Elysium. Elysium. Um, marigolds is a great one. Mm. Marigolds is, again, we're talking about the beneficial plants. Yeah. Um, we're talking about what can we plant in, in with vegetables as well. Um, and one of the reasons why marigolds are so good um, is apart from just the – they're pretty, they're, they've got lovely flowers, um, and they are easy to grow. Um, but they also uh, – the, there's a chemical that – Uh, suppresses populations of nematodes and also bad soil born worms that we may not need.
0: Yeah, right. Um, So
1: we're we're talking about um, affecting things on a chemical level (laughs) as well. Um, As you mentioned, Mm. even just the smell of stuff, it might be too strong in that garlic for uh, some particular uh, bugs to come around through to...
0: Yeah, Uh, another one, of course, we talked about last week is the three sisters method. So this is where you plant corn, um, some kind of squash or pumpkin and uh, a type of bean together, a climbing bean. And just to recap that, so the bean will grow up the corn and the squash or the pumpkin will sort of spread out and shade the soil, Mm -hmm. keep everything nice and cool and moist and no weeds. And they all kind of really benefit each other by giving a really nice... Bumper crop of all three. Mm. Um, in the look same a little space. bit, look a little bit wild in the garden. I, I like, I like gardens that look a little bit wild. Yep. Another one is uh, brassicas, so that's your, yeah, you know, your kale, your broccoli, your Brussels sprouts, your, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, um, yeah, that family, I suppose, of plants that really come from the same sort of um, brassica plant, and nasturtiums. So, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Every time I plant out a new garden bed with some, let's just say some plants that are susceptible to damage, in particular from cabbage moths, Mm -hmm. those those green caterpillars that you like to squash Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, or throw out to the birds. uh, I always now plant nasturtiums, a few little seedlings of nasturtiums around Mm. because almost every single time they're the ones that will get eaten Ah. by the cabbage moths, uh, caterpillars. Yep. It's a sacrificial plant. It's a sacrificial plant. Mm. But the good thing about nasturtiums is they are robust. So yeah. they will almost always come back yep. to the point now where, to give you the example of my garden, I have a, a herb bed, which is kind of my survival of the fittest. I put everything in there and I let, every, I let everyone duke it out. Yep. Um, at the start, I had three little nasturtium plants. They all got completely decimated by cabbage moth, mm-hmm. and caterpillars. Anyway, cut forward about you know, three months later... The nasturtiums are back and they're starting to take everything over where I have to, like, kind of pull them out and put them in some pots or something. Um, but the other plants that I planted were completely untouched and are now doing really well. Interesting. So, nasturtiums do this for quite a few plants. Yeah. Um, you'd think being quite pungent in flavour that they would actually kind of, you know, push insects away. But turns out they're irresistible to, to many pests, but especially... Cabbage moths. So if you have a problem with cabbage moths where you walk out and you see one of those little, those little white guys kind of fluttering around mm. and you're like, Oh no, here we go. Get some nasturtiums in your garden. Okay. Definitely try that I out. I cannot, I cannot recommend that one enough. And another one, it's companion planting. They don't necessarily have a benefit on each other, but it's a nice way to maximize space is lettuce and potatoes. So here in Victoria, anyway, we can grow lettuce year round, mm. um, Potatoes, though, when you first put seed potatoes in the ground, it takes a while for them to kind of burst out of the ground and get to full size. So what you can do is you plant your potatoes and immediately plant some little lettuces on top. And you'll get a lettuce harvest before the potatoes really take off. Mm -hmm. So it's just a nice way, instead of having a bare patch and you're kind of waiting for the potato plant to sprout out of the ground, uh, use it. Mm. Use that space. Um, And because they are sort of at different, different depths, they don't compete. And that's why they can they kind of work as companions. Lettuce has very shallow roots. And potatoes, you should be planting, you know, 15, 20, 30 centimetres under the ground so you've got some time. But, yeah, those are my ones. Do you, any other combinations you can think of? I've got a big poster at home from the Diggers Club. Yep. And I should have looked at it for some more examples, but they're the ones I got.
1: No, I think what's really good about companion planting and – And really about all of these topics that we talk about is that there's so much resource out there. Mm. You can just jump online and say, what works well with X? I've got this. I want to grow this. What's going to help it? What's going to work well? And I can guarantee that there will be uh, a a huge amount of results that you can get and information that you can dig into um, about it that way. Other plants that I'm thinking of other companion plants just trying to think of something with onions whereabouts the onions in a moment they're next to cabbages they're going pretty well
0: alliums and brassicas do go well together Mm, yep Um, alliums and alliums don't necessarily go well together ah so (coughs) things like garlic and onion for example yeah exactly because they they form large bulbs, so they're kind of competing, mm. you know. Um, but then again, you can also just plant large rows of garlic. Yeah. So it really depends on, you know. There's the three categories, right? Is is it going to be beneficial? Is it going to be detrimental? Or is it just going to be not necessarily either? Mm. Not yep. necessary. And they're just you, both there. They're <laughs> just there, you know. And at, at, at worst, that's what you want. At worst, <laughs> in your garden. Um, all right. Well, look. That, that's companion planting. I definitely, if you're more interested in this, and you should be, <laughs> if you're <laughs> listening to this show, um, have a look online. Uh, just type in companion planting um, and and have a look. And you might already actually have some of these companions in your garden, quite separate. Mm. And perhaps if if it's possible in your garden is to dig something up and kind of move it, and hopefully you will see a benefit. Um, but yeah. Get nasturtiums in your garden. I can't, I can't, I can't recommend those enough. Um, and also marigolds and alyssum. I think those three flowers, All are, are marigolds edible? Marigolds they are, edible. are, yep. There you go. Well, alyssum is completely edible. It's, it's actually a, a type of brassica. nasturtiums as well. You're and unique. nasturtiums are totally edible. Um, strong flavour, mm. but if you're into that peppery kind of flavour, you know, give them a go. Um yeah, you should really have flowers in your garden. I think that's <laughs> that's the takeaway from this one. Yeah, I like it. Uh, but yeah, before we get into our next uh, section, we'll just go to another song. And this one is by Dope Lemon and it's Marinade. Hey, everybody. This is Art Alexakis from the band Everclear and it's good to be talking to you here at Radio Carum. Welcome back. <laughs> We're sort of looking at each other. Are you going to say it? Will I say it? Welcome back to Radio Karen. You're on The Gardening Show with Henry and Brendan. Indeed. Now we're
1: going to talk survival crops. Ooh, yes. So what do we think about when we think survival
0: crop? Uh, the zombie apocalypse <laughs> is what I think about. And <laughs> the, the only reason that I will be useful to the roaming groups of marauders uh, in the savage wastelands of the zombie apocalypse is the fact that I know how to grow food. <laughs> hey, it is It's not going to be any of my other fighting ability or any of those <laughs> skills. I don't have any of those. <laughs> it is a good skill to have. Absolutely. Um,
1: but but I guess all joking aside, um, you know, when we talk about survival crops, and this was definitely something that happened from from history and from just doing a little bit of research, is mm. um, during during wartime or during times where things are really really challenging, is that we look down to the lawns and we go, well, hang on a <coughs> sec, do we need to be mowing this lawn or can we maybe use it for a better food for yeah. a better um, space? Um, and so the idea of a of a survival garden or a um, uh, something that is really giving back yeah. that you're really using to sustain yourself. Um, this is talking about uncertain times. Um, why we're we're gardeners? We we love gardening. Why why wouldn't we do so these uh, have these sort of crops as well? And many of us already do. Um, yeah. So we've got healthy, we've got readily available food, we've got very low price um, yep. at, uh, in the grand scheme of things. Um, it's great exercise, it's good for morale, it's fun being outside and growing all of this sort of stuff as well. And so if you've got time, if you've got space, it's good good to take your, your mind off of stresses worldwide. Um, but, you know, some of the reasons are that stuff keeps on getting more
0: expensive. Yeah, definitely, uh, especially think, since, you know... I mean, even before COVID, there would be periods where, you know, there's a cyclone Mm -hmm. in in far north Queensland and and all of a sudden bananas are $18 a kilo, Mm -hmm. you know, and things like this. And then obviously during COVID, we had, you know, that period where I think it was lettuce got really expensive. Lettuce, yeah To the point where fast food places were replacing lettuce in their burgers with cabbage. I had I had a Something whole like that. bunch of – yeah. I do remember this. Wow. I had a
1: whole bunch of lettuce in the garden and I was like, look at my retirement. <laughs> Sitting there just kind of pushing the leaves off,
0: you know, making it rain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, in, in all honesty, things – It's mm. I don't want to harp on about like inflation and all of that sort of stuff. It, it's a, well, Let's stick to the food and the plants. Yeah. But um, – Stuff does become get, is getting more expensive, and it is good to not have to spend that money. It's a nice little way to take the edge of off
0: the grocery bill.
1: That's what I was thinking. And mm. when I've thought about it multiple times, I've thought about it just like lifting the, the pressure off <coughs> just a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, it's amazing resilience. So um, benefits of of growing a survival garden, yeah, absolutely. We we learn skills to sustain and preserve ourselves. Yeah. We feel confident in, um, you know, being able to look at, I guess, confident in understanding our environment, understanding what inputs and outputs, you know, food takes um, and all of those sorts of things so that we could, uh, you know, potentially if we had enough space and unlimited resources, we could grow whatever we wanted and and fully sustain ourselves. Yeah. When we're thinking about survival crops, we think about, uh, often we think about probably two different sides of it. One is calorie dense, so something that's going to be giving me what I need (laughs) calorie wise. (laughs) Um, And the other side of it is as well recognizing nutrients. Um, And so those are the vitamins and minerals and things like that that we do still need to take on board into our bodies as well to
0: to keep going. I think a third one as well is things that store really well. Mm, Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, I think a combination of those three things, if your crop is all three of those things, you're kind of set no matter what happens. Um, Mm.
1: And obviously it might mean that we look at a
0: diverse range of crops
1: as well. Of course, yeah. um, So that we can get, some of different things and of course nobody wants
0: to just be eating potatoes I think if it was I, one vegetable I think we know what happened in Ireland uh I can't remember when it was my history hundreds of years ago oh. the Irish potato famine that's what happens when you maybe only focus on one crop <laughs> I, I'm, for some reason I'm thinking 18 1812 hmm who knows well I'll, I'll, I'll do a little fact check later uh, on lock in B Eddie <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah you know that that's why diversity is important yeah of course so some really
1: calorie dense crops Mm. to begin with um it won't be a surprise to to many people but corn corn is very very high in calories it is um then we 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 just mentioned it we talked about potatoes yeah um
0: another one as well is sweet potato sweet potatoes of course and i think also the I call them the potato and sweet potato adjacent crops, especially the ones you see in tropical areas, so like taro mm. um, and things like that. Um, yeah, big starchy root root vegetables. Yeah, your know, tubers. Yeah.
1: yeah, and taro in um, like New Guinea, that sort of area, mm. that's a staple everyday, yeah. everyday um, food, yeah. essentially. Um, But squash as well is another one and we spoke about this one and I want to throw it in there as a special highlight. We spoke about it last week is amaranth. Amaranth. Very high in in, um, (laughs) calories uh, and, again, multiple uses. Yeah. Um, What are some other ones and and what are their benefits? Yeah,
0: so uh, another good thing to grow in a survival garden is is things that grow very quickly Mm. where you can have a high turnover of crops. You can just keep planting them every couple of weeks. So succession – and we'll probably do another section on another episode about succession planting, but Mm. um, basically where you can guarantee a crop quite quickly and have it keep coming very quickly. So lettuce. Lettuce is great. Lettuce-adjacent plants, um, you know, quick-growing greens. Uh, Onions is another one uh, Mm. because of that storage reason. They store very well. You know, well-stored onion can last for months, much like potatoes and and pumpkins and squashes. So pumpkins obviously is there as well. Beans is another one. Um, Of course, calorie dense, protein dense, but they store very well dried Mm. um, either for seed saving, which we'll get into in the next section, uh, but also just to rehydrate when you need them down the line and use Uh, kale because it's very high nutrition um, sort of value. Uh, And it's also there are perennial types of kale. So perennial meaning that it lasts for many seasons. Mm. So you can keep kind of growing it and get these really tall tree kales going. Um, Yeah. Berries is another one, of course, being a perennial too. You get that constant cropping. Um, And for me generally – Resilient gardens, survival gardens are about perennials, if I really had to boil it down. Some annuals, of course, like potatoes and things like that, but uh, the more perennials you have, the more, I guess, stable your cropping is going to be. So fruit trees, Yeah. you know, if you have a big plum tree or a big apple tree and you take care of it um, and you maybe have a few different varieties in your garden or grafted onto that one tree, you're going to have a continuous crop of you know, high calorie dense fruit. And you might even Good. select
1: fruit trees that are late, later cropping as well. So early have a cropping big, and late yeah, cropping. Yeah, have a big
0: window. And stretch that growing season of collection season, harvest season. That's it. Some other interesting ones. Um, so, you know, Jerusalem artichokes mm. or sun chokes or fart chokes, as <laughs> some people know them, um, is a perennial essentially a perennial variety of sunflower or related to the sunflower, I would say. Um, they are perennial and they produce tubers as well. So um, another good one there. Mm. Uh, and asparagus. Asparagus. asparagus you know, yes. Asparagus are delicious as well, but asparagus, a well-maintained asparagus plant can grow for 20 years and, mm. um, it's one of those ones, though, that if you want to put it in your garden, you should just know that that is your asparagus patch. That's going to be yeah, – we're not <laughs> digging it up And you're not it moving it you. and you're not digging <laughs> no. it up. Um, and it's going to require a bit of maintenance. But once it's established, it's going to be a constant crop of asparagus spears every year. So with the asparagus, I saw a little description of
1: um, how asparagus look when they're growing. So when the so mm. obviously you've got this well, many people may not know, but with the asparagus plant, you've got a lot of foliage which will sit at the top, It's and like a fern almost, like a fern, yeah. yeah. And underneath the ground is where that crown will sit, and and it will spread out. And as you said, it will last many, many, many years. Mm. And then from that bed, simply just pops up these asparagus spears, and it it looks like somebody's trying to trick you as to what. An asparagus, by just getting a whole asparagus and popping it in the ground and just leaving it there. Yeah, right. so
0: It doesn't quite look real,
1: but but it actually is. Yeah, and then uh,
0: eventually it will grow and just pop into that fern. But yeah. when they first – what you what you buy at the supermarket where you eat, uh, yeah, it looks really weird coming out of the ground. <laughs> it's, it definitely doesn't look real. But, yeah, there's some of my ones anyway. Um, yeah, most. I think potatoes though is that real classic one. Yeah. Just yeah. especially in, in climates like ours.
1: Uh, going back to the storage one, we, mm. I've got a, a, a pumpkin which is just a one full pumpkin. It's from, from the Downs. And it was oh, yeah. when we harvested it some months ago. Um, and it's going to be looking good for storage for another couple of months at least By from what I can see. Yeah. Um, so nice thick skin, preserves all the inside, store it uh, especially with the potatoes and if you cure them well um, and... I was watching Epic Gardening, not brushing off of the potatoes, um, allowing them to sit out in the sun. Yeah, so they've got that natural husk or the, the mm. dirt husk almost, um, giving them a bit, a bit of a brush off at the end, and, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, but storing them for some months if it's in a in the appropriate condition, it's nice and dark, it's cool, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, winner. Interestingly, uh, so almost not everyone, but a lot of people in my family that have gardens. Uh, this is in Spain. Uh, grow potatoes, Mm -hmm. sort of, yeah, they grow survival crops basically, like cabbage, potatoes, carrots, you know, these sorts of things. Um, And I have seen potatoes that have been saved for months and months and months, you know, in a dark, cool shed, Mm. you know, under a sack, like, you know, kind of just away. They do get a bit soft but not bad. Mm. And, yeah, they can last for a long time but you've got to leave the dirt on. That's the trick. Um, the second you wash them, they start to break down. Mm. Same with radishes and beets as well. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good – that's a good to know. Mm. Great. I think that's – that's. Well, let's leave it there for survival crops because we still have one more section that we are really keen on that we want to finish the show on, which yep. is Saving Seeds. So we'll go to one last song now. This one is by another Aussie band, uh, Ocean Alley, and this is West del Sol. Come to on, Freddy's, Freddy's Kit kitchen, kitchen in Station Street for a, a coffee and something nice to eat. Yeah, the yeah, the pizzas, pizzas are great. In fact, all the food rates down at Freddy's. Carom Station Street! Come, come on, come on, on come on, down to Freddy's now. Come on, come on, come on, come on down, down to Freddy's now.
1: <laughs> it's a pizza. It's a Mystic Pizza.
0: And we are back. We are back. That song, before that great rendition of Come On Eileen, uh, was "Puesta del Sol by Ocean Alley. So, the last topic of the day, Thank really you. juicy one. Thank you for hanging
1: in there with us listeners and everybody yeah. else who's, who's joining us.
0: Where are we at? Oh,
1: geez. <laughs> They're in 40. <laughs> that is all good. So, we're going to talk about saving seeds really quickly. Mm. Um saving seeds it is a great way to garden for free um also sharing plants with other people as well um uh, when we've been able to cultivate and grow our own seeds propagate them into plants um especially if they're unusual if they're interesting yeah. unique being able to share that with other people is, is awesome so That's it. um so this essentially saving seeds it's going to allow us to uh, to keep growing the best uh of what we've harvested we can look at selective group breeding, we can ensure that we always have a stock of what we love to grow on hand when the time comes. Mm. So when we want to grow stuff, we've got it there, we've got seeds at the ready.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does take a little bit more effort than just going to the nursery or to to Bunnings and just buying a seedling um, or a more mature plant. But I'm sure you'll agree, Brendan, it's way more rewarding. Yes. And it is free. And it is free. Mostly free.
1: Pretty much free. So if we can get some good soils, um, mm. especially if, if you're looking at um, propagating soils and, and growing seeds, yeah. then um, some good propagating mix. Uh, but you can also get bits and pieces yourself to, to create that. If you've got a worm garden, if you've got a bit yeah. of compost, a bit of soil, all of those sorts of things, um, much, much more rewarding uh, growing from seed. Yeah. can be a bit challenging. It sometimes. can be,
0: especially... Here in Victoria, um, we don't get—at least not where we are—we don't get a lot of frosts mm. or many, really, at all. Um, but you know, if you want to really kickstart things for spring and get a—you uh, know—get a head start on them, it can be a little bit tricky to grow from seed mm. uh, unless you have like a greenhouse or even a, a frame, like yep. a cold frame, which is for those at home. Imagine a tiny. <laughs> Very low to the ground, greenhouse. Yep. Just paint a glass in a frame that you can put over a plant. Um, a seedling tray just to create a little bit of a greenhouse effect. Uh, just to just to start things a little bit earlier than right at the start of spring. yeah, And get a head start on them. Of course, the easier thing would be to, at the start of spring, go to Bunnings and buy a you know 20-centimeter tall tomato plant. But you can do things a little bit easier Mm. um, if you do it from seed, but you start a little bit earlier and you have a bit of prep work done. Yeah, absolutely. Mm.
1: And I think probably highlighting on that one, you know, often we go in and we start to see, we will look around, we'll see little seedlings at the shops and we think, oh yeah, that's good might be $5 for a punnet or something, and yeah. you might only get four plants in there. And then you look at the next one up and you go, oh, I'd love to get something that's a little bit more established, a little yeah. bit more, It's going to be producing fruit a bit sooner, but then it might be an $8 tree uh, or an $8 tomato to plant bigger or it will and it bigger. start bigger. to creep up there. Uh, so, seeds, so saving seeds and growing from seed is one way to do it. That's brilliant. Um, and it's also quite effective if you're growing quite a few plants. Yeah. Um, It's going to be much
0: more cost effective to to be growing from seed seed that way. That's it. And you have to think, I mean, think of tomatoes. How many seeds are in a tomato? Low In a single tomato, right? Um, Or in a single chili or or a capsicum or, you know, even something like, yeah, we talked about carrots before, carrot seeds. How Mm. many come out of one of those flower heads? Mm. And how many might you get on one single carrot, right? So it starts to really add up in terms of the volume of seed that you can save. Yep. And if it's stored correctly, it can be stored for years and years and years, you know. Um, but yeah, what what I guess some of the ways that we can collect these seeds. Yeah,
1: so um, there are a few different methods. Uh, there's, of, of course, with gardening. There's uh, there's a few different methods. So I wanted yep. to ask you very quickly: What's open? Can you plant all seeds? Uh, are All seeds going to produce fruit not are all seeds going to produce plants that you can then get more seeds from
0: tricky question so i will say that not all seeds that you collect will produce plants that are true to type mm-hmm. which means plants that are what you'd expect given where you got the seed from <coughs> so particularly for things that are hybridized so that's where you know tomatoes is a good example where two different varieties are cross-pollinated to get a specific kind of plant. When you collect the seeds from that particular tomato, you might not really get what you're looking for because they're not really bred to be stable. They're mm-hmm. bred to produce that particular fruit Yeah. Um, at the cross-pollination stage. This is where heirloom varieties is, if you really want to collect seed, mm-hmm. you want to be growing and collecting heirloom varieties because those are... Pretty much guarantee that you're going to get what you're thinking you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, does that answer your question? I, I kind of half didn't get your question. Yeah, in no. In terms of what you were saying, but just, essentially, I wanted to refer back to open <laughs> pollination.
1: Ah, okay. Um, Sorry,
0: and <laughs> I totally went over my head that one.
1: <laughs> no, that's that's totally fine. Um, and and essentially, open pollination. You you actually <laughs> summed it up
0: brilliantly. Mm. But
1: it's going to be the that the seeds you mentioned heirloom varieties. You mentioned true to form, so it's mm. going to be. Staying as that same plant. Yep. Um, you can buy open pollinated seeds, especially all of those ones that you're talking about from things like Diggers Club, yep. um, So that sort of thing. Um, the, uh, the pollination methods uh, include self pollination as well as pollination achieved by birds, insects, and other natural means. Um, so, yeah, we were talking, we were saying there's lots and lots of methods for collecting seeds. Um, sometimes, depending, sometimes it's different depending on the seed, um, mm. and sometimes that this, the, what we actually save, uh, is what we eat. So the say, like beans, for like, example, exactly, yeah, yeah. So, so we save the seed and we eat that later, as yep. opposed to replanting it, or we may um, replant
0: it, may replant it right away. Yeah, um, um, go for it. Yeah, so I mean, quite often you could just leave plants be <laughs> and they will go through the natural sort of, you know, the bolting process where they will, you know, shoot up flowers and then the flowers will get pollinated and they'll create seeds. And then we can simply wait till those seeds are fully formed. And sometimes it's a bit of a research thing to, to know when they're fully formed. So sunflowers, for example, is, is one where it's not always obvious when they're kind of ready, you know, but go through that natural process um, let them dry, dry them off. So this is what I did with my my wild fennel that mm-hmm. like I talked about earlier with the with the insects. Um, cut the whole thing off as I was fixing up my garden. I hung it upside down. Mm-hmm. And eventually it got so dry that you could just kind of shake the seeds off. And um, that's what I've been kind of spreading around. So that's one way to do it. Um, sometimes you can just let them fall. Yep. Yeah. So... That's what I did with my borage, for example, and just kind of forgot about it. And those seeds went through their natural process, spread around the garden, and just started popping up everywhere. Some, you've got to take the fruit and kind of make sure it's super ripe, and then you've got to kind of shake the things out, mm-hmm. like with loofah that I mentioned before as well. Really, whatever works. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really just about separating the seed from the plant material often yes um in order to collect it and yeah what's 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 a useful tool that people might want so sometimes even like a kitchen sieve is is just an easy one it's good to have one of those in the, like an old one in the garden yeah yeah, yeah just for sure. that yeah
1: something that's going to be small enough that, that hopefully the seed falls through yeah um but then large enough that it, it collects the shell casing or the natural materials that are around um the seed in some instances don't really mind saving a bit of the seed casing. It's always nice when it's super clean and you've just got perfect seeds in there. Um, But it doesn't matter if there's like a little bit of old organic material, if it's
0: dried. it's all dry, it doesn't really matter. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, So using whatever methods we can, uh, (coughs) sometimes it's, uh, it's not a perfect art. Sometimes you lose a bit, but that's okay. Sometimes the seeds are quite light, and if it's a windy day and stuff, you can they blow away a little bit. Um, Keeping the seeds afterwards, after we've taken the seeds, but keeping them dry and in a in a cool place um, and without access
0: to moisture is probably key there. That's it. How do we do that? Lots of ways. (coughs) Seed pockets is one. Um, A seed bank. So seed bank's is a really good idea. But seed pockets are, correct me if I'm wrong, it's just the packages that seeds come in, right? Those yep. little Those little envelopes. little envelopey things. Um, like when you buy seeds at the shop, um, you can also just use old envelopes, reuse them, repurpose them at home, yep. fold them over, tape them up and just write what it is on there. A seed bank is a good idea. One that I have just purchased um, on the recommendation of somebody I know is a photo album case. Mm-hmm. So this is like a plastic, not that I like buying plastic things, but this will hopefully last me for a very long time. Um, Basically a case that holds 12 separate little cases inside of it, which are in the old scale four by six inches or the size of a normal film photo that Mm. you would get back in the day. Um, So within each one of those, I've labelled a rough category of plant. (laughs) <laughs> it was very hard to come up with only twelve categories of plants, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, flowers, legumes, corn, whatever it might be, and just keep them organized in that sense. Yep. In there, of course, within their seed pockets yep. as well, keeping things nice and and dark. Um, you can buy those online. Uh, you can buy them at Spotlight. You can buy them at Kmart. So if, if you're in the in the in the if you're looking out for something like that, yeah, that's uh, that could be a good option. Or one of those old, big old apothecary cabinets mm. with the little tiny drawers with the little label maker things on the front of them. I've the, always wanted one of those. That's what um, I wound up doing. I wound up getting like a, a nuts and bolts
1: um, shelf ah, for a plastic like, case. yeah, have gotcha. just got lots and lots and lots of little drawers in them. Mm. Um, each drawer, sometimes I'll just leave loose seeds in there if yep. I've harvested, harvested them myself. Um, <clears throat> but one of them that's big enough to get those seed envelopes into and yep. then – You can separate them and just write on the front. (laughs) Works quite well.
0: There you go. Um, Now, one thing that's important to note is saving seeds from fruit trees. Yeah. Or fruit that comes from trees. Um, This is a tricky one because I think we've all seen things online. We've probably tried it where you you get an avocado seed and you put the toothpicks in it and Mm -hmm. hang it over water and, you know. That's great if you are living somewhere where you know, you're going to be there for a long time and you have obviously space for a fruit tree and you're patient, Mm. because the thing is fruit trees often take years to, to put out fruit. So with avocados, a straight one that's grown from, you know, one of these pips could be five plus years Mm. up to seven plus years. Um, You know, apple trees and things like that could be several years as well. So, not necessarily one if you're renting, yep. for example, yep. unless you're willing to carry a big giant pot, potted tree around with you from place to place. Um And the reason for this is, or why people might buy fruit trees, small fruit trees from a nursery is those are grafted. Mm. And that's the difference. They are a tree that is, is you know, grafted or kind of surgically attached <laughs> to a more mature rootstock yeah. Yeah. Of, of a particular, you know, there's a particular sort of, um, yeah, you know, characteristics that you want yeah. for yeah. that tree. So that can bring the window from, let's say, five years down to two years maybe. Uh, if you're just kind of growing from seed, apple pips or, you know, um, the the inside of a peach or something, you could be waiting a lot longer. Yeah. If at all. Mm. That's the tricky thing about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. What else? There's also another one. Um, Oh, I will mention actually, I put a note here that if you do have the space and the time, this can be quite successful. So uh, my old man, he uh, has a decent piece of land. My parents have a decent piece of land, um, a big slope down the back of the house. And for years, he's just kind of throwing things out there. Mm -hmm. You know, eats a peach or a plum, throws the seed out there. Yeah. has a bunch of avocados on the go. When they get big enough, just chucks it in there because he's not concerned about time or a big yield or anything like that. Some things fail, some have grown and are now fruiting, you know. So if you're willing to put in the time and the energy and the effort, that can be the easiest way to to save seed. It's Mm. just... (laughs) throw it out in the garden and just let it be. Yeah, I like it. You know? I liked
1: what you were mentioning uh, earlier on as well with the Mm. herbs. It's just a bit of a survival of the fittest, throwing, scattering a few different things in there and seeing what takes. Um, And even sometimes it will throw it in the seed bank and you might clear off something and then something new pops up. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) But um, going back to the seeds now, um, probably something else to mention. We were talking about tomatoes before. Yeah. You've got tomatoes, I'm sure you've seen on the inside of the tomato, you've got like the jelly yep. sort of substance which is sitting around it. Um, if we were, that, that's obviously got a lot of liquid in there as well. Um, if we're wanting to do things like tomato seeds, it's actually a good idea to wash them <coughs> off first and yep. to try and separate that jelly. Uh, it's got a, um, an inhibiting... Uh, factor to it so yeah. that it's not going to allow it to germinate um, in that time in the fruit because you don't, the fruit doesn't want to have its fruit growing inside of itself whilst it's yeah. still being used. You <laughs> have fruitception going on there, no Um But specifically for tomatoes, mm. washing them out, using that sieve as well, being quite gentle with the actual inner part of the tomato. Yeah. Um, but you can get lots of them. Often you'll find as well. Simply just throwing them into the garden, (laughs) they'll
0: they'll likely grow again. I've seen it work. (laughs) The Um, classic cut a tomato in half, just bury it. Yeah. And you'll get – well, how often has this happened to you? You grow tomatoes and then for the next six months after you pull them all out, there's little tomato seedlings popping up everywhere. Exactly. Because a bird got into one of your tomatoes and the rest is history. spread them everywhere. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's still doable but – do try and remove that jelly coating. Yeah, it will help you get then a good germination rate. Dry it out, mm.
1: store it, and then it will keep for a little while. Um, is probably the the advice to go to on that
0: one. That's it. Um, so pretty yeah, much, that pretty much wraps it up. That wraps it up. That's seed saving, and that's the show.
1: Mm. What's coming up next show?
0: Got a few things. So one that I've been getting requests for this one, <laughs> which is gardening with kids. Yes. You and I both have kids. Yep. So um, we're going to talk a bit about, you know, activities that you can do, garden safety mm-hmm. with kids, um, you know, plant safety as well, protecting plants from kids yep, <laughs> um, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a section on that one. We'll talk a bit about in-ground versus raised beds versus containers and pots, some pros and cons, mm-hmm. things to consider, what can you grow, what can't you grow, um, We'll talk about the fourth permaculture principle, which is, as I mentioned before, applying self regulation and accepting feedback. The rule, one to really get me feeling humble. <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, we've got a spotlight on sweet alyssum. Sweet alyssum, one of my favorite plants. Um, and, and some book or channel recommendations.
1: That's it. So, again, this is probably going to be more of our of our favourite go-tos, whether it be resources <laughs> online um, and those sorts of things. And, in fact, I've got one that's popped into
0: my brain already. Oh, yeah. But I'll save it up for next week. Excellent. All right. Uh, but, yeah, that's it. A uh, couple of uh, – well, just one really event that we want to talk about. So, um, Brendan and I both volunteer at Downs Community Farm mm-hmm. down at Downs Estate – on Old Wells Road in Seaford, yep. just next to the wetlands. Um, so every month on the 3rd July of the month, we have a big dig. The 3rd July of the month? 3rd July of the month, <laughs> yes. No, the 3rd <laughs> Saturday of the month, thank you. Um, you can tell I'm starting to get delirious. 3rd Saturday of every month, we have a big dig, which is our, big, our bigger working bee, where we try and bring in more of the community and we'll have a nice potluck lunch this time as well. So come along. Um, Saturday the 15th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Come at any time, of course, um, in those hours. If you are interested, um, bring along a dish for a potluck lunch, but not absolutely necessary. Um, and, yeah, even if you just want to have a look. Come and explore. Walk around, explore, about. get a tour from, from me and Brendan. Um, you can totally do that. You don't have to get dirty in the garden if you don't want to. Um Or maybe you do, and there'll be jobs for you to do as well. For sure. The more, the merrier. That's it. And as always, don't forget to send through any gardening questions to the mobile number 0493-213-831. You can also get in touch with us via the Downs Community Farm Instagram page at Downs Community Farm, our Facebook page as well if you want to do it that way. Um, or you can send us an email at Downs Estate communications at gmail.com. But your best bet's that mobile number or the social media yeah Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah. A,
1: a huge thank you to all of the listeners. Uh, we, we wish you a great and happy couple of weeks. Everyone get into your gardens and grow um, and let us know. Let us know all the things that you are growing, what's
0: working, what's not. We'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear if any of those Cape Gooseberries are ripe yep or riper riper Uh, yeah so keep us informed on that one listener I'd like to know Um, Mm. but yeah have a great rest of your next two weeks (laughs) before we see you again and uh, I'll see you then Brendan take care see you then